Welcome to the Word Ministry of Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We trust that the following message will be a blessing. Open up your hearts and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you through the preaching and teaching of one of God's choice servants. Hey, are you ready for the word? Let's have a word of prayer first. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would instruct us in the way of righteousness, that all of us could be thoroughly equipped to serve you, follow you, and that may somebody who doesn't know you come to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, I want to speak about being strong in the Lord. My goal today is to encourage every person to walk in the strength and power of the Lord instead of their own strength. And to encourage those who don't know the Lord to surrender their life to Christ so that they can experience His love and grace. And so basically, we are all going through a lot during this coronavirus. And some of you are getting worn out mentally, emotionally, and physically. Some of you are just trying to get by on your own strength. And today, I'm trying to help us think through how we can get strong in the Lord and instead of relying on our strength, relying on his abilities. And so some of us not only are being, uh, you know, having a difficult time, I should say, but we're also on top of that being harassed and oppressed by demonic spirits because demonic spirits take advantage of these kind of situations and crises. Whenever there's an open door, they try to jump in there whether it's an open door through somebody's unbelief, disobedience, lack of faith, uh, or it could be because they're not spending enough time in the Word, they're not uh, connected to the church, and uh, Satan has successfully allured them into living a life of leisure, spending six to eight hours a day watching Netflix instead of taking advantage of this forced Sabbath to get to know the Lord. And so if you're harassed and oppressed by demonic spirits and or trying to depend on yourself, this message should be a great benefit for you because I want to help you today learn how to tap into the strength of the Lord so you could always overcome the evil one no matter what. But before I do that, I want to tell you a story of what I call the mousetrap and the alien. The mousetrap and the alien. You might say, what does the mousetrap have to do with... The alien, and by alien, I'm talking about that movie, The Alien. Well, for example, picture yourself that you're a tiny mouse. And one day you sneak into the kitchen of a home and see a delicious meal perfectly laid out for you on a flat piece of wood. And you think to yourself, is this too good to be true? Or are they nice humans who want to feed their small, mischievous friend? So driven by a hungry belly, a salivating mouth and an imagination ripe with pleasurable visions of satisfying your pate. And before another one of your mouse friends gets to it first, you lunge at this delectable, delicious meal of smooth, creamy peanut butter on top of this flat piece of wood. And as you lunge into this creamy peanut butter, all of a sudden, kaboom, you hear a snapping noise and then you are immobilized immediately and you realize you're in incredible pain as your body's almost cut in half and you are now aware that you just fell into a trap 
and await your sad fate. Well, this is how demonic forces operate, as we will soon see. They operate by cunning tricks, through deception that allures us by pushing the buttons of carnal desires, unresolved issues, unsurrendered areas of our life that make us vulnerable to fleshly lusts, bursts of anger, fear, anxiety, and other actions that will harm us and others. However, the most common way the evil one deceives the body of Christ is through seducing them with entertainment, wasting precious time, being lazy regarding prayer, scripture reading, and staying connected to the body of Christ. Satan's intent is to make us so self-focused and pleasure-seeking consumeristic people that we care more about the things of men than the things of God. Now, why would you say that is satanic? Well, Jesus rebuked Peter for that very reason. He said, away from me, Satan. He actually called Peter Satan. We see in Matthew 16, 23. He said, because you savor not the things of God, but the things of men. So even when we are just merely pleasure-seeking, it doesn't have to be witchcraft and tarot cards and horoscopes and uh, Ouija boards, but just living for yourself is also being under a satanic value system. So unfortunately, uh, in spite of this mousetrap analogy and in spite of how the Bible is replete with examples of the cunning craftiness that Satan operates in alluring us into a lifestyle away from God, most people picture demons and demonic activity uh, coming in the form of, of an otherworldly monster, similarly, similar to the movie The Alien or something like that. However, demonic entities usually come in the form of a mousetrap more than an alien. As a matter of fact, scripture teaches us that Satan comes as an angel of light. He masquerades even as ministers of righteousness, which is why we have so many false cults and religions. Uh, and so the Bible tells us, as Paul mentions it in 2 Corinthians 2, not to be ignorant of Satan's schemes. A new Christian could be ignorant, maybe an unbeliever. But if you are a mature Christian, you should not be ignorant anymore of Satan's schemes. That's why this lesson today is so important, especially during a time of a crisis when the enemy could try to take advantage of any weakness you have. And so, as you are aware, uh, much of the population is struggling, as we already said, with fear. Maybe you're one of them. Anxiety, loneliness, and even depression during this lengthy coronavirus pandemic. Unfortunately, the longer this lockdown continues, the greater these feelings of fear can develop and envelop us during times of isolation when we have a lot of free time and our mind begins to play games with us. Satan doesn't have mercy. He doesn't say, oh, you poor thing, you're isolated, I'm going to leave you alone. No, this opens up a door to psychological warfare that takes place in the realm of the mind because demonic forces are arrayed against our thought life and take advantage even of our ignorance of Scripture and our ignorance of Christ's victory over Satan and his legions. Tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 in the New King James Version, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And how do we cast down these strongholds? It says we cast down every argument and every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So we see here that spiritual warfare is primarily in the realm of the mind imaginations. Satan doesn't come in a red suit and a pitchfork, but he plays games with your head. 
And he tries to get you to accuse God and not believe God. And so what is the answer? Well, Paul says that we have to cast down every thought and we have to bring it into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We have to take authority over our own thoughts. And the only way we could do that is to know if something is coming against the word of God, then we have the right to cast it down. If we don't know what the word of God says, then our ignorance opens a door to psychological warfare. So hence, in light of this, we have to understand that warfare is primarily in the mind, even though there are physical manifestations of it. And how you could tell if you are undergoing a time and a period of, of, of extant uh, spiritual warfare, excessive spiritual warfare, is when there are uncontrollable feelings of fear, anxiety, lust, anger, or thoughts that you don't want to have, that you are not willing to have, that you are not trying to entertain, but you can't stop thinking of them because you might, may have opened up a door with a little bit of fear or anxiety, and now you can't stop or maybe a little bit of lust, and now you can't stop. It's an obsessive, compulsive uh, desire for pornography or uh, to sleep with somebody or to do something you shouldn't do, or you can't control your temper. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Well, maybe because you've opened up a door to the evil one and his minions. But in spite of this, there is strength available to us while living in this world. And this strength is not known to anyone but those who are born of God, born from above. And what do I mean by that? Well, Jesus told Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. As we read scripture, we find out that once somebody is born from above, they immediately have the right to access what Paul calls the laws of the spirit of life. He says in Romans 8, 2, that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has already parentheses, set us free from the law of sin and death. And so before we know Christ, we're under the law of sin and death. But after we come to know Christ, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness, it tells us in Colossians 1, 12 and 13, and we are brought into the kingdom of his son. So we are now in a different realm. We're playing by different sets of rules. We're under the laws of the heavens, the kingdom of the heavens. We're no longer under the law of the spirit of death, of sin and death. And so because we are born again and transferred into God's kingdom, we now have the ability to operate in a different law, in a different system, and partake of the victory Christ had over Satan on the cross. The Bible tells us that he made a public show of him, triumphing over Satan at the cross. We read that in Colossians 2.12. And uh, the Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John 3, 8. And because he already crushed Satan's head, those of us who are in his kingdom are under his rule, under his domain, under his authority, and we partake of his victory. We've been raised together with him far above all principalities and powers in every name that can be named, not only in this world, but that world which is to come. So we've already been raised together with Christ, and Satan is under our feet. Unless you know that, you're ignorant of it. Satan can play games with your mind, and through your ignorance, he could make you think that you have to succumb to his tricks and his power. Uh, and so we want to get under the realm of the kingdom so we can walk in God's power. David said in Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. He was looking forward to 
the power, the fullness of Christ. He said, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If somebody could say that in the Old Testament, looking towards the cross, how much more we who look back at the victory that Christ wrought over Satan when he rose from the dead over the power of hell, how much more should we say the Lord is the strength of our life? So either God's your strength or you're going to walk in your own strength. But I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and we're going to read to verse 18. Uh, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the wiles or methodologies or schemes or stratagems. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Now he tells you how to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. So verse 14 to 18 describes what that armor is. But let's go back to verse 10 for a moment. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. So what he says, finally, what he's saying is, to summarize everything I said in the first five and a half chapters, I want you to understand it's the same as walking in God's strength and power, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, not grieving the Holy Spirit, not lying to one another, edifying one another in love, uh, being built up uh, when every body, uh, in, person in the body of Christ does its part. You, you start walking in what he just instructed. That is putting on the armor of God. It's not some mystical piece of equipment that you put on that's invisible by faith. It's what you do in terms of your lifestyle. So that's what the word finally means, meaning in summary, everything I said is going to result in this. You will be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strong is a command from God for us to do something, meaning we have a choice. God doesn't automatically clothe us with his weapons and his armor. Every day we have to decide to think like Christ, to act like Christ, to be filled with the power of the Spirit, and to intentionally allow the Word of God to permeate our hearts and think God's thoughts after us. And so being strong is a choice. You could either whine and groan and moan and uh, feel sorry for yourself with this coronavirus, or you could get up and you could seek God until you're clothed with power from on high. And so he also talks about how we have to put on the whole armor of God. Verse 11, put on means to be enveloped in, to hide in, to clothe yourself with it. Uh, it covers every aspect of who we are, spirit, soul, and body. It's an act of our will again, whether we want to depend on God or not for our strength. And if we want to depend on God, we're going to put on his armor. The whole armor in the original language actually means to put on all the weapons, meaning in the historical context, he's talking about the heavy-armed soldier, the Roman soldier who was weaponized with a sword, a shield, a lance, a helmet, heavy shoes, a belt, and a breastplate. And when it comes to God's divine armor, 
We don't need just divine weapons, but we need all the weapons and all the equipment in its entirety without the lack of any part. That's why he says put on the whole armor. There's some Christians who just speak faith, but they don't have the helmet of uh, shield, uh, 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 the breastplate of righteousness, or they don't have the helmet of salvation, or they're not ready, uh, they don't have their feet shod with the gospel of peace. No, no, he's saying you have to have all of it. You can't be lazy, you can't just pick and choose what weapons you want to carry. You have to have everything. You can't bring a knife to a gunfight because sometimes Satan has an AK-47 and you just did a few little things here and there and you try to get in a fight and you try to overcome the enemy and you're not going to have a chance. No, no. Even though Christ already defeated Satan, there are weapons, all of the weapons, all of the armor at our disposal. We have to be clothed with all of it. Have the hand grenade, the AK-47, the bazooka, the shield, everything, the tank, anything God has given us. You should have all of it because you want to be in a place where you're not going to lose in any battle. So we need all the weapons, all the equipment without lacking any single part. He says put on the whole armor of God. That word of God shows that the source or origin of our weapons comes from God. God doesn't care about how smart you are. He doesn't care about how physically fit you are. He doesn't care about your track record. He doesn't care about how much you think highly of yourself or low of yourself or whatever. It has nothing to do with this. It has to do with the weapons of God. As a matter of fact, this is a take from Isaiah 59 where God talks about clothing himself with his own armor before he goes into battle. So basically, we're putting on God's armor. We're not only getting power from God, but we're wearing the same armor God wears when he himself is going into battle. In Isaiah 59, verse 16, it says that God saw that there was no man and wondered why there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness, and it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, as a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, Paul, who knew the Old Testament, was basically taking Isaiah 59, the armor that God himself used, and applying it to the Christian and saying we could have that same armor. Wow, this is profound. Having God's armor, his same armor, when we go out into battle. And so what does this mean? Even though we have God on our side, we need to take to ourselves all that God provides to face and overcome demonic adversaries. I know you don't like to hear this sometimes. You just want to take some time off. You want to rest from warfare and battle. And everybody would like to do that. But you always have to be on the alert. Even though you rest in God and he's already overcome the enemy, you don't have to be afraid of the enemy. Of course not. But we have to be alert and we have to be ready no matter what happens. And uh, it's not an accident that Paul consistently likens the believer to a soldier in the army of God since we are in the midst of a cosmic and epic battle. Why? For the hearts and eternal souls of humanity. Because eternity is at stake for millions and billions of people and the church is the only hope. They are the only ones who promulgate the gospel of course, there's going to be great resistance against the church and against individual believers. If you're not in spiritual warfare, if you don't have conflict, if you're not dealing with things, it may be because you're not in the battle. Maybe you're a prisoner of war and you don't even know it. Jesus said in the world, you will have tribulation. That was a promise. So everyone somehow 
whether you're saved or not, actually, will experience some form of hardship. So you might as well go through the tough times with God on your side, walking in God's kingdom and His agenda. And he says that if you're strong in the Lord, you will be able to stand, again, the same verse, against the wiles of the devil. Wiles, as already was mentioned, has to do with the methodologies, the stratagems, the schemes, the tricks the enemy uses to attempt to overcome the believer in the church. He can't just overcome us. Why? Because we're united with Christ, because the Lord, the Spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death, because there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because we've already been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of His Son. He can't just decide one day, I'm going to overcome you as a Christ follower. No, He has to trick you so that you put your God down deceive you so that he can have entry into your heart and mind and begin to shape your actions. And so that's what this has to do with his wiles, the methodologies. Uh, he, he studies, he observes, he investigates every believer, every church, every ministry, and he looks for an open door. He tries to trick them with pushing certain buttons based on their history with a goal of overthrowing our faith, tempting us to fall into sin so that we would fall away from God and walk away from our assignment. His methods are always different depending on the buttons he can push. My, my buttons are different from somebody else's buttons. It all depends on the weakness of our life, maybe certain areas that we haven't fully surrendered. If he sees you're always losing your temper, then he's going to constantly bring people who are going to test your patience, cut you off while you're driving. Uh, if he knows you haven't surrendered to God in the area of lust, well, he's going to put pornography, he's going to put uh, people you're attracted to, the opposite sex hitting on you. I mean, he is going to try to push every single button. And if you're not strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, there's a good chance you may fall and succumb to his trickery. So even though his methods may differ, his goal is always the same, to separate you from God and even from his church. And as I said, Satan doesn't have the power. Jesus promised uh, that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So the church, by and large, is the safety place. Because when you're weak, someone else can be strong. If you isolate yourself from the church, well, you're in trouble if you're weak and you have nobody to pick you up. That's why it's so important, even during this coronavirus, that we stay connected with our Zoom prayer meetings. We have prayer meetings three nights a week on Zoom. We have many other small Zoom rooms. We have ways of connecting, and you could contact one of us uh, without, you know, through our website or calling us or any possible way on our app and chat. So many different ways to connect. You do not want to be isolated during this time because if ever you start to grow weak, there's nobody there to pick you up. And so the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. He didn't say against an individual believer. But the church, so as long as you're part of that church, Satan is not going to overcome you if you allow people to minister to you. And he also told us as a church, he says that uh, I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. Serpents and scorpions are, are uh, metaphors that is talking about uh, Satan. You know, he came in the form of a serpent in Genesis chapter 3. It manifests as a huge serpent in Revelation 12, where he came as a dragon. So serpents represent 
the devil, Satan. Scorpions represent his minions. So Jesus said, I've given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And he said this in response to the disciples saying, when they were excited, they came back to Jesus after he sent them out to preach. He said, Lord, even the demons listen to us in your name. And that's when he said this. Uh, but he also warned them, do not rejoice in the fact that spirits submit to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Meaning it's not a big deal that you could cast out demons. What is a bigger deal is protect your walk with God, cherish your salvation, and walk in humility. That's why it says in James 4, 7, submit yourselves to God. Then when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. It doesn't say he'll flee from God. Jesus already defeated Satan. It says he'll flee from you. Oh, believer, if Satan is harassing your mind, submit yourself to God. Confess your sins. Yield yourself to the authority of Christ in your life. And then command him to leave you. And if, if you need help, somebody will pray with you and help you in that area. Uh, it tells us also in Ephesians, the same book, in chapter 4, verse 27, that give no place to the devil, meaning he can't come in, he can't oppress you unless you open up a door somehow by disobedience, lack of faith, uh, or by being ignorant of his schemes and falling into a trap, walking into that mousetrap. And in verse 12, Paul deals with the nature of, of spiritual warfare. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Your boss is not your enemy. Your wife is not your enemy. The president is not your enemy. Your governor, your mayor is not your enemy. The politicians are not your enemy. He said, ultimately, our struggle, the, the, there is an invisible powers that are pulling people around, influencing them, even like puppets. He said, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That's why we can't just focus on the flesh and blood realm. We have to be people of prayer. We have to access God's throne. We have to legislate what God wants to do on the earth through praying to him and going to heaven. And uh, he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's interesting he uses the word wrestle. Uh, this is an athletic term in Greek culture from 2,000 years ago, which was a contest in which two people were pitted against each other and they attempted to throw each other on the ground. The victor would hold his opponent down by putting his hand upon his neck until he gave in. And unfortunately, in a typical Greek wrestling match, the loser had his eyes gouged out, resulting in blindness for the rest of his life. And you may think, wow, that's awful. But why would Paul use that analogy? Well, he would use that analogy because our warfare against the spirits of darkness today is no less desperate because once you fall into sin, your eyes are gouged out and you're no longer able to discern the will of God. You don't want that to happen, beloved. Even if it happened, we could pray for you today and you could be brought back into God's kingdom purposes. And so we need to take spiritual warfare and temptation very serious and not let our God down. This is why Jesus said to watch and pray lest we fall into temptation. So that in Matthew 26, verse 41 and 42. And uh, the other thing we have to understand is the fact that Paul uses wrestling as the metaphor for spiritual warfare to depict our conflict with demonic forces illustrates that the epic battle we're in is on the ground. Same way two wrestlers would be on the ground. Our fight is on the ground, even though the spiritual 
hosts are in the atmosphere, the manifestation of the warfare against the enemy is on the ground, meaning the fight is where we live, where we work, who we relate to, with our family. Sometimes I think the uh, ground zero for all warfare is in marriage and against our families and against our children. Uh, so ground zero, the wrestling match, is right here, wherever we live uh, and wherever our communities are. That's where the wrestling match takes place. It also tells us that there are different levels of demonic enemies that are arrayed against us. He said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Verse 12 and 13, uh, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Heavenly places, not talking about where God dwells with the holy angels. It's talking about the immediate air, the atmosphere right here, you know, where the clouds are over our head, right around here. Uh, and, but he's also telling us that there are different levels of demonic enemies that are arrayed against us. Most of the temptations you are going to face are from the lowest level demons. So there are various uh, uh, levels of authority in the demonic world. Satan has a hierarchy, similar to how our military has a hierarchy. Like in our military, you may have a general, an admiral, a major, a lieutenant, a sergeant, a corporal, a private. Uh, but uh, Satan has an army with a hierarchy similar to that. The principalities refer to, in the original Greek, the first ones, or the preeminent ones, the leaders in the air. These are the princes who rule over cities and nations, the ones who were depicted uh, over the various empires in Daniel chapter 9 and 10 and 12 when the prince of Persia was fighting with the prince of Greece uh, and Michael the archangels and arch power equal to them in power and might had to fight them uh, in response to Daniel's prayers. So these principalities are princes. There, is princi there are principalities that have great influence over New York City, over Los Angeles, over Chicago as well as over the nation, where there's an epic battle between good and evil. The powers that are mentioned are the demons in the lower atmosphere who constitute his kingdom in this immediate air, which Ephesians 2, it talks about the prince of the power of the air, right our atmosphere, right here. And the rulers of the darkness of this world include Satan and his demon hosts in general. So he's summarizing what that means, all of his armies. And so most people, as I said, are only dealing with the privates in Satan's army. Uh, and that's where, you know, we just resist the devil and he will flee from us. We're dealing with fear, we're dealing with anxiety and lust. And fear is very commonplace now in this coronavirus. There's a promise in 2 Timothy 1.7. It says that if uh, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of a sound mind. And one of the ways you resist fear, you keep quoting that scripture until you believe it, until it enters your heart and believe God for that sound mind. Spirits of fear, lust, pride, and others tempt us and attempt to infiltrate our heart and mind to shape our thinking and actions. And we need to resist it with the word of God, by speaking the word of God out, by submitting to God, so that when we resist Satan, he will flee. The more influence a person has, the higher level of demon entity. And that's why we have to pray for our president and governors and mayors because they're dealing with and being influenced, unfortunately, many times by principalities, not just individual demons, but the highest level, 
that deal with ideologies, public policy, laws, things that govern and influence a whole region. So he then finally says, therefore, after saying all this, in light of this, he's saying, you need to do this. Again, he's repeating himself, therefore, take up the whole armor of God, all of the weapons, not just some of them, that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So what is God telling us to do? Well, sometimes it doesn't feel like we're moving forward. He's telling us to stand during the evil day. Standing means remain firm and don't go backwards, don't give up, and don't fall in the midst of your struggle during the coronavirus. During this intense season, it may not seem like you're getting anywhere, but if you're just standing, you're doing what God says. And you'll, you don't even realize you're actually making forward progress for whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And you realize it afterwards. You look back and say, wow, I stood firm, didn't think I was getting anywhere, but I'm actually a stronger Christian now. I have more faith in God because of this. The day of evil refers not to a 24-hour day. It says to take your stand during the day of evil. This day could be a day. It could be a week. It could be a month. It could be a year or multiple years. Uh, it's a time of testing where God allows the enemy to unleash an assault against the people of God. And so this pandemic is definitely, uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, equal to what we would consider a day, a season of evil that has been unleashed. And so God has called us to stand. And then he gets into the actual armor. I'm not going to get into detail what each of the armors, but basically he said to put on the helmet of salvation. That means to think God's thoughts after him. Don't entertain poisonous thoughts. The helmet of salvation, once you are saved, it's like a helmet around your head. When you meditate on the word, you're, there's a wall around you as you focus and you set your mind on the things above. Putting on the breastplate of righteousness has to do with understanding who you are in Christ, that Jesus is your righteousness, that he took your place, that there's no condemnation once you're in him. And because of that, you are legally righteous and you could begin to walk in righteousness. Feet shod with the gospel of peace has to do with wearing the boots that the uh, Roman soldiers wore. They had spikes on the bottom. They were able to gri grip the ground. And basically, when the boots were on, they were ready for battle. So what God is saying is always have your boots on. Never take them off, not even when you're sleeping. Of course, metaphorically, always be ready. Having the shield of faith has to do with trusting God. Above all, put on the shield of faith so that you could withstand the fiery darts and relinquish the fiery darts, extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. It doesn't say if you have faith, you won't be attacked. It doesn't say you won't be on fire. God says, when you go through the fire, I'll be with you in Isaiah 43. He said, you will extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one through the shield of faith. So when you have faith, it's a shield that helps you put out those fiery darts so that they don't burn you alive. Uh, it talks about girding yourself with the belt of truth, the truth of the Word of God, understanding the doctrines of Scripture, understanding the first principles. It's like a belt that holds your armor together. Without your belt, your armor falls down. Finally, put on, uh, use or, or wield the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is when you learn how to use the Word of God skillfully to counter the wrong thoughts, strategies, and seductions of the evil one. 
It tells us in Proverbs 6 that the Word talks to us while we're sleeping, while we're walking, when we wake up. Uh, it, it, it is something that guides our life, but it's not just to protect us, like with the helmet of salvation, but it's also an offensive weapon, the way Jesus used it when he was in the uh, wilderness and he was tempted of Satan for 40 days. Satan tried to say something to him and Jesus would quote a scripture. Even though he was God the Son, he was both man and fully God at the same time. He still relied on scripture because in this realm, he had to operate in the realm uh, that God gave humanity which is scripture through the word of God. And he used that to battle Satan. He didn't just say, well, I'm the son of God, get out of here. No, he said, uh, it is written, it is written, it is written. So if you don't know what it's written, you don't know the word of God. If you're not growing in the grace and knowledge of God, you are gonna be prey to the enemy by your ignorance. And so we have to be able to wield that sword of the spirit skillfully. The more the word we know, the more discernment we'll have the more we could use scripture to counter the attacks of the evil one. So when Satan told him to turn stones into bread, Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's in Matthew chapter four, starting with verse four. He told Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, because the angels of God will protect you. So Satan knows scripture. So when Jesus quoted scripture, Satan said, okay, you're going to quote scripture? I'll use scripture against you to do something stupid. That's how cults have started. They take scripture out of context. So he tried to get Jesus to jump off the top of the temple and quote Psalm 91 saying, don't worry, the angels of God will protect you. Uh, it, it's almost like being presumptuous and saying, I can walk into crowds during the coronavirus. I don't have to take precautions. God will protect me. Well, some of the pastors and leaders who said that, unfortunately, died of corona. And uh, it, it, it's a tragedy. I'm not condemning them. In their faith, they had a heart after God, they had a conscience. But we can't be presumptuous. We have to take precautions. We have to use wisdom. And so when Satan tried to get him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, Jesus immediately said to him, uh, it is also written, do not test the Lord your God. And finally, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. He tried to get him not to go to the cross, said, well, you want to be king? I'll give it to you the fast way. Just worship me. Bow down and worship me. Jesus says, it is written, you shall worship only the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Wow. Jesus knew the word. You have to know the word as well. That's how you're able to resist the enemy. If you're a new Christian or you don't know the word that good, Oh, it's so important, even if you know the word, you don't know everything, to be part of the church so that we could be there for you in parts of scripture that you don't know someone else will know. So as we end this, I have to ask you the question, are you willing to allow God to strengthen you today, starting now? Are you going to start right now to stop depending on your own wisdom and strength and start relying on God? Will you let him fill you with his power and his might every day, not just today? Are you willing to put on his whole armor? Remember, it's your choice. He doesn't force himself on you. Are you tired, weary, anxious, lonely, and battling fear, depression, and grasping for hope in these days? Well, we're going to pray for you now. But I hope and pray you'll yield yourself to God, be filled with his spirit, and put on that whole armor of God. Our church has many small groups we call Zoom rooms. 
that will enable you to connect with other believers. We all need each other. While I'm preaching now, you could say something through chat, email us, call us, connect with us, and we'll reach out to you. And finally, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you cannot put on the armor of God unless you give your life to him. And so until you do that, you're under the domain of Satan. I know it sounds hard to believe. doesn't mean you have demons living in you, but you're operating in a system controlled by the evil one. So what is the answer for you? If you don't know Christ today, surrender your life to the Lord, and he will instantly transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his son. I want to pray a prayer. First, I'm going to pray for the church. Uh, if you're wherever you are, just lift your hand up. Father, we just thank you. We can release your spirit. Send your Holy Spirit now. Fill your people. Teach them, O oh God, to put on the whole armor so that they could take the stand against the wiles of the enemy. And we break every power of hell against their minds and hearts. Help them, O oh God, to take a stand having done all to stand, not to quit, not to go backwards, not to fall, not to give up, no matter how hard it is, oh God, we pray that every person will receive strength right now to receive that strength so that they can stand, having done all, having all the weapons to stand. I pray that people will make a commitment to live in your word, to meditate on it day and night, that they will have the skill to wield that sword of the Spirit offensively, not just defensively, to protect themselves, but offensively to help others come to you, to help deliver others, help minister to others. Oh, God, that we will be skillful in the Word of God and that we will be people of righteousness that will minister the love of God to this scared, lonely, anxious world. I pray for those suffering with coronavirus that you will minister your healing we break every power of hell over their bodies. We break the spirits of fear over them. We break the spirits of anxiety. We come against depression. We come against suicide. I just sense right now there's some that are contemplating suicide. We break, we break, we break, we break those powers. We break, we break, we break, we break those powers of suicide. In the name of Jesus, we resist your power, Satan. And we release and proclaim liberty for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, it's already a done deal, has already set us free from the law of sin and death. So thank you, God, for the freedom and liberty of the sons of God, of the children of God through the spirit. And now, if you don't know Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive him in your heart. If you want to know Christ, you have to believe that he died for you, that he was buried and three days later rose from the dead. If you believe he died for your sins and you're willing to surrender to him as your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer after me. It doesn't mean anything because I'm praying it. I'm just helping you. It will only mean something if you mean it and believe it. You have to believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead while you're confessing it with your mouth. You ready? Let's go. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for being beaten, punished, and crucified. It was all for me. It was for 
sinful humanity, and I'm one of those sinners. Jesus, I believe you were buried. I believe you died. And you proved you were God by rising from the dead. That you are not dead anymore, that you're alive. I believe you're alive. Because of that, Jesus, I ask you, come in my heart right now. I speak with my mouth that you are my Lord. I believe right now with my heart that God raised you from the dead and that you are alive. Therefore, I believe you're going to come in my heart right now. Thank you, Jesus, for coming in. Thank you for giving me your armor. Thank you for filling me with your spirit. And now, Father, connect me with your church so that I could learn how to walk out this glorious faith. In Jesus' name. If you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, there'll be instructions uh, right on the screen to tell you how to get in touch with us. We're so thankful that you connected with us this Sunday. This is Bishop Joseph Matera. Love you, and I can't wait to see your face. And those of you who have never met, I can't wait to meet you soon one day. God bless you. We trust that you were blessed. For more information regarding our church, please go to our website at www.resurrectionchurchofny.com or call 718-436-0242, extension 0.